Welcome to The Rebooting Show, where each week I have a conversation with someone building a sustainable media business. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, I'm joined by Patrick Truesdale, the founder of The Daily Upside, a newsletter publisher whose flagship email now reaches 850,000 people with a mix of business, finance, and economics news. The Daily Upside is in expansion mode, having recently acquired a patent newsletter and with plans to roll out a new newsletter focused on the intersection of Wall Street and Washington. I wanted to have Patrick on to discuss how The Daily Upside has grown so quickly since Patrick began it in 2019 and how he thinks about expansion and not trying to do too much too soon as basically a bootstrapped organization. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback and even your guest suggestions. I'm Demarcy at therebooting.com, and here's my conversation with Patrick. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you joining me. Brian, it's awesome to be here. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So the daily upside, you started this in, in 2019. Yeah, you had, your background, you were at like Guggenheim, right? So like, what did you see exactly that was the opportunity back then? Because I mean, honestly, Morning Brew and The Hustle were successful, but what was the opening that you saw for like a business finance, start your day, figure out what's going on in the economy newsletter? Yeah. So yeah, I started The Daily Upside in September 2019 and I had you know, definitely seen The Hustle, Morning Brew grow up into you know, really you know, proper, sizable media companies. I think I was really looking for the next level of of color and commentary, something that would more cater towards someone in finance specifically. So I basically, I, I had worked at B of A in industrials as an analyst. I had worked at Guggenheim covering healthcare and covering media and tech. So I'd basically seen a bunch of different industries from an investment banking perspective and, you know, thought that in, you know, as you said, the morning uh, roundup landscape, there could be something that covers a broad swath of different industries and goes a layer deeper with longer stories, you know, with, with a little bit of a Wall Street angle in terms of the depth of, of the stories. So that was the, the, the initial thought. But like, who did, you, who did you think it was for? Like, who did you think was not being, didn't have like an option in the market? Was it for people like who, and cause I think that, that feeds into the business model or getting at like is it's for people who, who are going to use this for their jobs or just like curious about like the world around them and, and cause it affects them. I mean, we all see this, like we're all like inflation experts now, even if we're not in finance world. Yeah. No, I don't think it's a pure, it's definitely not a pure B2B publication, but in the early days, Brent, I, I really was writing it for myself almost literally and figuratively. Yeah. There was, you know, a hundred people that saw the first newsletter. So I really was trying to cater towards people who w- w- would enjoy and, and did enjoy a morning roundup, but wanted a little bit more depth of, of information. So I think that meant in the early days, it was, it was definitely people on, on Wall Street uh, reading the newsletter and then more aspirational retail folks who wanted to go deeper on investing in finance. You know, and those companies you mentioned earlier, that they were, they're great and they still are great. But I think that the daily upside, our our intention is to strictly focus on business and finance and peel out more thematic trends and, and insights that, that could be useful for someone perhaps looking at their portfolio or, or thinking about their business. So yeah, that was the intention. Yeah. But it wasn't like a generational play, right? Because I feel like the more you 
Morning Brew and Hustle like had that generational angle too. And I think it's good to like you can overlay different like lenses and that's important. And and a generational lens is, is one. I mean, the problem is it goes away. Like we all get older. So fate. I mean, that's the it's honestly the best best case scenario as you get older. Otherwise, not good. But what it, it seems like you didn't have the generational angle to it. No, we were never gonna try to go out and be the next you know, business news for young people. I mean, that was already being done very, very well. To be honest, we kind of stumbled upon, I'd say, some white space in the market for older folks who perhaps had never really seen the conversational style of a newsletter like the one we were trying to put out. In the early days, we did a partnership with The Molly Fool, and their audience definitely skews older in terms of, of demo. And those are folks who weren't reading the newsletters uh, you just mentioned. So kind of inadvertently stumbled upon, you know, uh, great white space for for folks who didn't have their newsletter of choice yet. Yeah. So I want to talk about the Molly Soul with the, you know, growing this. Because, I mean, I think you're at like 850,000 now. I don't know. You, the number keeps going up. Every time I was doing my research, I was like, how did it? How you got to like 300,000, how you get to 700,000. And then you're like looking for like a web developer, you're like 850,000. I mean, so we're going to get into that, but like, let's start with the product itself because you, you didn't, you don't have like a quote unquote content background. I guess you sort of do like, you know, investment banking, but like, it's interesting to me, like you, you, you made the product and you continue to like to a degree. I'm sure you're not as much anymore, but which I always like. I respect that, right? <laughs> People making the product themselves. Because I think you get like sort of, when you get your hands dirty, rather than just like, you know, hire someone to it, you start to recognize like, first of all, you're just closer to the product itself. But one of the things that you said that really stood out was conversational. Um, and I think that's what, that's what's different with, with newsletters and, and podcasts, honestly, and, and even live events. And that's why I was drawn to this area. Because I think that's pretty powerful right now. But explain how you thought about like integrating a conversational and what that means, like a conversational tone to, to, you know, what oftentimes is, is, is fairly dry and factual reported news. Yeah. So again, I started in September, 2019. I spent the first three or four months trying to figure out what exactly the product was going to be, who the audience was going to be, what the publishing schedule was going to look like. And a couple months after that, the pandemic hit and suddenly there was an incredible amount of economic and financial chaos happening, obviously, and frankly, tremendous amount to unpack, try to figure out what was happening with the economy, what was happening with the stock market, what was happening with businesses. And, you know, there was obviously a tremendous amount of reporting happening. And I think I... You know, I, I was definitely, I was writing the newsletter for the first two years and settled into a groove where the primary value add to the audience was dissecting and unpacking all of this craziness happening in the markets, but doing so in 450 words, whereas you might need to read, you know, half of the Wall Street Journal to really understand what was happening with, with Hertz or Carnival, I think. The value out of what I was what I was trying to do was unpack all that in as few of words as possible, where where someone could really feel like they understood what what was happening, 
and even perhaps in an enjoyable way, as, as crazy as that sounds, giving what, what was happening, but bring some levity to what was a pretty dark time. I think that's kind of what made the Daily Upside work in, in the early days, was ability to synthesize and have almost like an, an explanatory tint to the content without being too too formal. Yeah, that proved to be the winning formula during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You've I'm offended because I remember talking, it's funny, probably at a similar stage, I did a podcast with Austin Reed at, mm. at Morning Brew a, a few years ago. And I remember him like saying, because I was like, particularly at the time, I was like, well, when are you going to do, you're, you're aggregating a lot of content. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not reporting. He's like, I, we, we don't want to do that. Right. They sort of changed as, as they matured. Like, how do you think of that line? Cause I, I don't, I, I think a lot of times the, the, the capital J journalist people, like they like sort of dismiss like, aggregation because i mean we went through these periods of aggregation in which i think a lot of what was being done you know back then was kind of kind of cheap because it was about algorithms and stuff like this but like you know packaging stuff for people to be able to easily digest i mean the reality is you know i read the ft and the wall street journal like every day and and it's a lot it's a lot how do you end up thinking about that because I always think about it, it's like you gotta you gotta start from what the audience needs and then work your way backwards. It's like this is not like some kind of religion or something like that. Like you're just trying to like help people, you know, either understand the world better or explore some topic or do their jobs uh, better and make more money. But how do you end up thinking about about that, particularly as the company grows? Yeah, I think I guess I'll start off by saying in the early days there really is no other choice but to do some form of curation and analysis unless you go out and raise a you know boatload of venture capital money you know you're not going to be able to go out and and hire 10 great reporters on day one who can do original reporting so you know in some ways startups like like austin's and and mine really have no choice but in the early days to bring value some other way and curation is i mean there is I think value in high quality curation, choosing stories that people are interested in that can cater to a large you know, swath of, of the audience. That's definitely an art that I still care deeply about. I'm still involved in story selection and, and guiding what we're covering. But for us, I think it, it will be an evolution. I do think there is probably a. I don't know if it's a cap because clearly newsletters have gotten very big just doing curation, but some element of creating a durable and sustainable media business to me will involve, you know, more enterprise original reporting over time. Because if you do just strictly focus on a, a voice or a specific persona, I do think there those probably have waves. And I think we've seen waves where a specific per- persona you're writing to is interesting for a while and then it you know perhaps fatigues i don't necessarily think that's true with a, a, a company that's doing original reporting so that's definitely the direction i'm, I'm looking to head in yeah You are looking to eventually get into more original reporting. Definitely. And I think, you know, 
started to do it on on the daily upside. We, you know, we're we're talking to sources. We're we're starting to build that type of work on the core newsletter. And then for the additional verticals, which I'd love to talk about, I think we're going to be doing it from day one and are doing it. So yeah, I think it's going to be important. All right. So I want to get to new verticals, but first like the growth, because you're at like, you know, a lot of these newsletter growth stories, I mean, some of them are like pretty tremendous, like, right? Like I'm reminding, I'm getting a little bit of flashbacks, you know, to some, some previous years, but I think I am learning more about like the dynamics of this. So Talk to me about how you go from zero to like 850,000 in a couple of years, years, I guess. Motley Fool was, was critical, right? It's definitely critical. I mean, there was no way me with, you know, my computer, my keyboard was going to be able to get it off the ground without, without either raising money or doing a partnership. I, I chose to do the partnership and they were amazingly helpful. It, their business was was doing very well in the early days of the pandemic, right? It was meme stocks, it was uh, GameStop, and people could yeah. not get enough of content that, that they were putting out. And I think Daily Upside benefited from from that flow and, and that traffic. So yeah, a, a significant so, portion. Sorry, go ahead. So how did it work? I mean, I'm sorry, how did the partnership work? How did you end up, and like, what were the numbers? I, I saw Simon Owens, it was a great podcast, you should check it out. Uh, business of content. He did one with you. And you guys talked about this a little bit, but like, I think like you went from like 3,000 to 10,000, but explain the partnership itself and how, how that gave you a leg up. Yeah. So it was a fairly structured partnership. There were a couple different elements to it, but essentially they, after kind of testing the daily upside and sussing out whether or not we had a viable product, you know, I was ultimately able to convince them of that in mid 2020. And from there, they, you know, had an economic interest in the daily upside after we struck, struck a partnership and basically distributed our content on their website. They offered the daily upside to folks on, you know, both their, their core customer list on their marketing list and you know, basically said, we've got a new partnership with a company called the daily upside. We think it's great. You should check it out. And. Again, it was a crazy time for the markets. People couldn't get enough of this type of content and ended up being massive growth driver. I mean, a predominant growth driver in, in 2021. So. Okay. So how, how big did that get you? I mean, you're doing other things. I'm sure you're doing newsletter swaps and maybe buying some ads and stuff like this. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I, I always say roughly 80% of our first 80,000 subscribers were from that partnership. And then, I mean, I could be wrong, but like the dynamics of growth I find are like really interesting because it really compounds. You're like, it's like you get more subscribers, you get more subscribers and like you have to get over that like hump. And that's why I find it really interesting. This, uh, this approach with like the partnership with, with, with someone who already has distribution. Cause like in media, like you can make something and, and I think a lot of, you know, journalists think it's like, oh, if you just, you know, you could just make it like people will find it and it's really good. It's like maybe. <laughs> and a distribution has always been the, you know, an incredibly important part of media and you, you got to get distribution. And, and once you do get to a certain level, you know, whether it's referral programs or just like growth just becomes easier, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely have the opposite view. I, I think you could write the most beautiful story in the world. Yeah. And unless there's a proper, you know, strategy to get it distributed, no one will see it. 
so yeah i i i think it's 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 critical to have these have these strategies and these partnerships and raising money can be a a big part of it because you can go deploy ads on on facebook and twitter to get your your message out there but there definitely is is a tipping point where enough people have have heard of you where organic traffic starts to build and once you get you know past a certain point for for a business like like ours can start generating ad revenue and then deploying that ad revenue into additional growth and yeah. that becomes the you know the strategy yeah so, so this is like self-funded like you didn't take outside capital essentially there's a very small financial component to the Mo- molly fool deal but it, yeah i'd consider us a you know pretty much a, a bootstrap business right so talk to me about the 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 distribution strategy like what did you deploy to i mean it seems like molly fool was a great like you know and continues probably to you know generate a lot of like new subscribers but you know to get it to eight hundred fifty thousand new subscribers is like pretty impressive so like what 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 were the biggest levers that you found in the growth story uh as you said i mean basic things like newsletter swaps in the early days newsletter buying ads on other newsletters are great i think that's where we have gotten our most engaged subscribers are from people already consuming the medium. Definitely, uh, probably impossible to get 850,000 subscribers from just buying ads on newsletters or doing swaps. So ultimately, you kind of have to turn to the scalable channels like Facebook, like TikTok, like YouTube to, you know, drive massive volume of, of subscribers. Organic at this point is is I think our our largest channel of of where we're getting new subscribers, people who just yeah. hear about us somehow or maybe see one of our stories and then sign up. But certainly from a paid acquisition perspective, yeah, the large scalable channels are 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 you kind of need to figure out how to make those work in order to get to those large numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, once you get like a big enough base and start selling ads and redoing that mostly directly, I'm sure you use some of the marketplaces and outsourced ad sales outfits that are out there. Yeah. I mean, we did a lot direct. And when I say, I say we a lot, even referring to 2021 when it was really just me, but those were, were great days. I mean, the ads would pretty much sell themselves. We had a lot of inbounds of people who you know, we're advertising on similar newsletters who wanted to find more. So those were, you know, look back at those as very pleasant ad selling, ad selling days. Yeah, inbounds. Those are crazy times, though. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll look back with fond memories, uh, despite how tough of a time it was for, for the world. It, it was great for financial media. Yeah. Okay. So, but like y- you were selling yourselves and like one placement per, per email one placement per email eventually we rolled out a secondary slot but yeah it was i'd say mo- mostly direct we definitely worked with some outside sellers some some platforms but yeah we just had enough brands that we either tactically re- reached out to or came to us via inbound and luckily or, or, or thankfully enough performance that they saw in the newsletter where we had mostly repeat business yeah so what, what what is the like what's like the endemic advertising category for the daily upset like investment products or wh- where do you find like most of the demand? I'd say yeah, financial platforms 
tend to do really well on on the daily upside. We've got a lot of other we've got business owners and business operators who also read the daily upside, of course. So we have B2B SaaS products that can do really well. And then yeah, consumer products also do well in the daily upside. And we try to have a mix of sponsors so it's not financial advertisers 24/7. I think that would get old. So we definitely intentionally have a mix of different types of sponsors. Okay, cool. So how do you end up thinking cuz this is when I mean you're you're expanding now cuz I think it's at some point particularly with email newsletters you get to the point it's like okay, we have distribution. We got what like how do you judge engagement like for your I mean open rates are open rates, but like I don't know. How do you Yeah, open rates how do you measure? Yeah, open rates a little less reliable now with uh, iOS changes, but we still look at open rates and we have different ways where we can kind of tease out if a open is a real open. So we, we definitely use some modified version of open races and engagement uh, metric. Click rates continue to be really important. And we kind of use the two in tandem to see, all right, if someone has opened you know, the last... 200 newsletters but haven't clicked a single time maybe that's a function of some you know technology artifact or an ios change not an actual person so we're still using the basic kpis but i think a little more strategically to judge engagement good like what is good now because i mean with open rates for those who don't know like you know apple basically is doing all sorts of things that screw up like anything with digital media at this point but everyone loves apple so they can do whatever they want but they're they're protecting people from the evils of of newsletters uh, knowing who's actually opening their their emails which i had never really understood why that was like a major privacy invasion but apparently it is and so they're basically just like auto opening basically emails so like your open rates are most people's open rates are inflated right definitely did my sales kit but it's still i still say i got 50 percent open rates because they do but i just don't know exactly how accurate it is <laughs> what is a, what is a good like click rate for like any like what do you aim to to have as a click rate i think when we have a sponsor that that really connects we can have above a one percent unique click-through rate based on unique opens. So let's say we have throwing out round numbers, 300,000 unique opens on any given day, there were 3,000 unique clicks. We consider that a pretty successful sponsor where there's deep, uh, it's deeply resonating with the audience, I'd say. Yeah. And most of your sponsors are judging the success of their campaigns based on how many clicks they got to their site. Yeah, I'd say we, we still have a lot of performance sponsors. We're trying to to round out for different types of sponsors. Yeah, click-through rates is always going to be important. And for us, and, and frankly, this is something that's helped us do well, specifically with the financial partners, is how much asset volume is kind of moving on a down funnel activity if we're partnering with a financial platform. Our daily upside readers actually investing has been important for our, for our sponsors. Yeah. So let's talk about expansion because I mean, you get to a point, you know, you've got great distribution, you got an engaged audience and then you got to decide you can either go deeper or you can try like a 
like a premium version. I mean, obviously the Motley Fool knows this. They have great distribution. They, they have a, like a very big paid component. You can go that route. You could have more specialized products or you can expand like, and, and maybe this becomes the flagship product and more specialized products can, can be monetized in a different way. I, explain how you ended up thinking through and mapping through the different expansion pathways. Cause there are a lot. Once you get to some kind of version of product markets fit and you know it's going like you have to make a decision yeah i think for us the goal is always going to be to create one you know large and, and substantial and hopefully top of mind product for for folks for you know the core core newsletter and then from there my thought process was you know there's definitely verticals that we think we could expand into and and do well you know, tech was always going to be one of them. Some version of a deeper Wall Street newsletter was always going to be one of them. To me, the the goal was always to think through like what's a really unique product that doesn't already exist in in the marketplace where people will not just sign up for this because it's the Daily Upside's tech newsletter or Wall Street newsletter, but how can we make it really special, really unique? So patent drop is was our our second product. We actually acquired a newsletter, a Substack newsletter, call it two months ago. And I can give you some some background on the newsletter. What it does, it it basically has some scraping technology that goes into the U.S. and patent and trademark database, pulls most pulls really any type of patents you want based on what companies you're interested in. And from there, you can see, all right, what is Meta filing? And they file a million patents as do most tech companies, but we can kind of easily sift through what the most interesting ones are, what strategically seem the most uh, important and write kind of a future of tech newsletter based on that information. So I basically, we, we had bought ads on patent drop in 2021 or sorry, 2022 and you know, had a very engaged audience, was very unique, we thought. And basically the opportunity to acquire it came about. And to me, s- struck me as an obvious next step for the daily upside for a unique product and a vertical we, we care about. So that's kind of how I, I thought about it. And how, do you, how, do you, how are you thinking about modernization long-term? I mean, because it would seem like, you know, if you're, I mean, maybe I'm unique in that like, I'm not sure if I'd need like a daily patent. Like <laughs> maybe it's weekly. I wouldn't. I don't need that much patent stuff. But if I was like, you know, if, if this was my job, yeah. I mean, I need to like, you know, know who. Like, you know, that's it's a signal, and everyone's looking for signals. Whether you're investor, whether you're a hedge fund, or whether you're you're in, you know, competitor, you're always like, you need that kind of. That's closer to intelligence, really. How are you thinking about that? Is it, do you see a pathway to that being your first like paid product? We don't have any definitive plans to make Patent Drop a paid product. I think my uh, our as a team, our strategic goal is to perhaps widen the scope a little bit. As you said, patents is it's certainly not an everyday newsletter, but even twice a week will, will be a lot of patents. I think we'll work as a team to figure out exactly how we broaden slightly while still main maintaining the integrity of the original idea. And it you're right, it is very much a market intelligence product. And I think 
something people would pay for. My philosophy will be, let's see how large we can make this and then assess the best monetization mm-hmm. path that'll serve the audience the best. I mean, yeah. if it is going deeper on these topics and something we could only do with four or five other journalists working on it, maybe it is a paid model that you know we roll out to support that. But in bringing them in, like you feel like, like, do you have like a playbook at this point? I mean, that, that you can take like pat and drop and like scale it, you know? Cause I mean, I think that's the key. It's like when, when you have like, when you have distribution, everything, but more importantly, more importantly, but just as importantly, when you have a playbook to be able to take in another asset and be able to like scale it, because like you've learned a lot over the last few years about what works. Like, you know, you don't just go from, Zero to eight hundred fifty thousand, like by accident. Yeah, that's. I think the beautiful part is we do have the playbook. We know how to scale newsletters. We have a lot of people on the daily upside who are interested in the future of tech. So we can simply tell our audience that we have this new product, and thousands uh, of folks sign up. So it, it definitely is the case that the playbook helps, and you know we'll have to alter it slightly based on. The new nature of the content, yeah. But the same basic strategies will will definitely work, yeah. But you want to attract new audiences, right? Or is this a, is is it like the initial thing, just more surface area? Because one of the things that nobody really talks about with with newsletters, maybe they do talk about it, I just don't. Listen, is you know, there's limited surface area, as they say. Like you can only put so many ads in a newsletter. Like you're you're capping your business compared to other types. Of, of publishing because, you know, look, newsletters are amazing and everything like this, but you can't have five ad slots in a newsletter. No, I, you definitely can. And to answer your question, we will definitely want to attract new audiences for Pad and Drop. Uh, and I think we will. I mean, right now there is very little overlap between Pad and Drop and, and the Daily Upside because they were, they were built independently. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the same playbook in terms of being able to, go out and, and find the audiences and figure out what, you know, what influencers to partner with to promote pad and drop on, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter. So new audiences, but, but yeah. same playbook. Okay, cool. So what other verticals are you targeting? Yeah. So last week we, we announced that Liam McGrath Goodman is, is joining the daily upside, which frankly is, 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 is quite humbling. She's prolific journalist with Many years of, of breaking stories and, and covering really important topics. She will be leading Power Corridor, which is our new newsletter focused on Wall Street and DC. And we're planning on launching that in the middle of March. Okay. So give me the idea behind that or what, what is this like opportunistic shit you just, or was this like, we need to find someone to lead like this area? Like there, this is a great area for it. Yeah, to me, it seems like a mix. Like it was like, well, this is like, yeah, this thing is it's working, and like, you know, maybe the person who's doing it is like, you know, trying to figure out what to do. But I don't know. Explain to me because things are always like a little bit messier than probably seem on the outside. Yeah, Power Corridor is definitely a more natural extension of of what we are doing on the Daily Upside, focused on you know, bringing new light to stories on on Wall Street and, and business. With someone like Leah, it's, you know, we got to know Leah through our uh, editorial advisor, Jim Mpoko, who was actually the former 
editor-in-chief of, of Newsweek. He knew Leah, used to work with Leah. And yeah, w- w- we basically got, got to talking, got to figuring out what she was interested in, in covering and how that would overlap with what we were already doing. And yeah, it, it's it's very much an extension of my goal, which is to bring more enterprise reporting to to the Daily Upside. And Leah's got a, a long track record of doing that. So yeah, we, we couldn't be more excited for this, this product and, and what it will mean for us. Is it going to have a different approach? Like, because I, I wonder about playbooks, because like there's editorial playbooks too, right? And like, so sometimes like running the same editorial playbook for like a new publication is not like you're, you need to tweak it to some degree. But are, are you thinking that this is going to be a, a, a different like approach from the one taken in the daily upset? Totally. Yeah. I think really from everything, from how the newsletter looks, how often it comes out, it's going to be at the outset a twice a week newsletter. We're not really going to follow the same playbook of, of taking three stories and adding our, our angle to them. Leah's already out talking to sources and you know, building more enterprise-oriented stories. I think the actual newsletter will look different. The style of the newsletter, the style of the writing will, will be different. I think she'll, Leah will obviously naturally comes with a lot of gravitas. So it's not as if we're, we're trying to say, all right, this is the voice of the daily upside. It's working really well for this audience. Let's go superimpose that on a different vertical. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're very much going to treat it as as a new product. And there will be you know some co-branding elements where it's a daily upside powered newsletter, but it, it'll very very much have its own look and feel and 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 style. So, are you thinking of this as like? I don't want to say a network. It's like a network of like newsletters in that like, it's not like it's the daily upside. And then you have like, how are you, and I don't even know if you are thinking this yet, but like, how are you thinking about, you know, as you expand into like new areas and stuff like this are, are like, how do they all connect to each other in some ways or do they not? Are they all like distinct? I think, I mean, to be honest with you, Brian, it's something we're, we're kind of solving as we go. I'd say, yeah, there will definitely be connective tissue that, that ties the ecosystem together, but just the way these products have materialized, it will definitely be, you know, an an evolving reality, but no, I'm I'm not thinking about it. It's like so hard. Yeah. I've always thought it's like so hard because like you want like, you want things to have their like distinct identity and something mm-hmm. like this, but like you also have to be realistic in that getting anyone to know and to, you know, like to give a shit about like a brand is like really hard. Right? It's like super hard to do it like repeatedly, like, you know, like one, another time, another time, another time, another time, another time. It's like, Oh my God. You start to like want to just go back to like the Yahoo approach and you'd be like, Yahoo this, Yahoo that, Yahoo this. That. So I don't know. It's it's always a big challenge, I think. And I see sometimes with like newsletter sub branding that like it gets like super chaotic. Like Puck has like a lot of like sub brands, and I'm like, he's a teeny sub brand. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I'd I'd say for us, 
I think it's never going to be a network of of newsletters where it's, you know, creators operating independently and we're really just facilitating the sends. That's by no means what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Defining the connective tissue, I think, will 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 be perhaps a little bit looser than it is for, you know, the brand you just mentioned. Yeah. No, I mean I think that's the that's the like the connective tissue, because there has to be there there should be like some connective tissue, because otherwise you're an ad network or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like I think in some I've seen some like newsletter companies where I'm like, I don't understand, like, particularly when there's like a quote unquote creator focus. I'm like, I don't really see how these things are even like related to each other. I mean, just because you change like all your like Twitter background to the same color does not make like the, this, uh, a coherent brand. There's no connected tissue other than that. So, and I think it's like difficult because it was done in a very heavy handed way, I think, in, in media up into this point where it's like everyone needs, everything needs to be the same style. Everything needs to like, you know, look the same. Everything needs to, you know, and consistency is important in establishing a brand, but sometimes like it can, I don't know, it can be done brutally and like ring out any sort of individuality. And I think that's a, a major upside in, in, you know, like you said, the conversational aspect, like you need to have a bit of individuality to it. Yeah. I think especially when you bring on someone of, of Leah's caliber and just in terms of her journalism track record, there's really be no upside for us in imposing you know strictly what we've been doing at the daily upside on on her process people are going to read yeah. power corridor because they want to hear from 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 leah so yeah okay uh so last thing is is how do you think about i, mean, I think the other thing when you think about growth is you become good at like newsletters like you have a playbook for newsletters you're good at newsletter right and then the question of the becoming i i written about this the other week about changing lanes a little bit because you have to change you have to change lanes so you don't want to go like six lanes over and we've seen this like a lot of times particularly in the last era of media where companies kept switching lanes into into areas where it's like that the both topic areas but also just format like right like because you're good at, at newsletters does that mean necessarily that that translates into making television shows you know Ozzy tried that how do you think about like staying with what you're good at, right? But you know, the reality is like newsletters have to have a ton of upsides, but you know, there's some limitations to it. How do you think about expanding the product set? Yes, it's a great question. I I'd say I think about it hesitantly. You know, we're a bootstrapped company. It's not as if we can go out and hire yeah. 10 video producers to try to make awesome content for YouTube that may or may not see the light of day i'd say look you know we're, we're already biting off uh, a couple of new products with with uh patent drop and power corridor this year my focus for 2023 is definitely going to be scaling those two creating the connective tissue as we talked about between between the products in the fullness of time i absolutely think there are different mediums that we'll be able to roll out with our our journalists that make sense and create more of an ecosystem beyond the newsletter. You know, we, we have folks on our team that make, you know, ha have a lot of podcast appearances or television appearances in their past where clearly there's the talent to, to build other types of products. And we're going to continue to hire people like that. But 
I'd be lying if I said, yeah, in June, you're going to see a Daily Upside podcast. I, I don't see that happening. So it's a natural extension, I feel like. Uh, podcasting is one where I feel it, it, it's natural to newsletters to some degree because it's also it's conversational and it depends on the newsletter product, obviously. But it's like I saw, I, I like, you know, like I think Morning Brew, they just like came out with their daily podcast. And I thought what was good about it was like, it fit the morning brew to me way better than business casual dude. It was just, it was more them. I mean, that's what they're good at. They're good at like, you know, summarizing the news in a way that's like engaging and stuff like this. And, and I think sometimes people go a little bit too, a little bit too far afield, but whatever. Got to try new. Eventually we will. I, I don't want to say we'll, we'll never have a podcast. I'm, I'm sure we will, but in terms of the immediate roadmap, I'd say we're just by virtue of where we are in, in the market cycle. And again, the reality that yeah. we are of, you know, self-funded company, it's a different roadmap. So are you, are you going to focus on, on making these two work or are you looking at other areas this year? Yeah, I'd say we're definitely going to be laser focused for the next three to six months on these two new verticals. There's a lot of people we need to hire to make these two new products work and call it the business ecosystem that that lives behind it. So beyond that, we definitely have other verticals we're we're gonna try to key key into towards the, the you know the second half of the year and the, the back half of the year. But I think the thing that's benefited us the most in the past is is just moving pretty deliberately and at at the right speed for the type of company we are. Yeah. Gonna agree more. Awesome. Great Patrick Wells, great Rich Chad. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah Brian, always great to talk. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Again, please do send me your feedback. My email is bmarsi at therebooting.com. Thanks a lot to Chase Sparks, who is producing this podcast. If you're thinking about doing your own podcast, and again, they're hard to grow, but the depth of engagement is amazing. So don't let that scare you off. Get in touch. Jay can help you out. He is at podhelpus. That is podhelp.us. 